The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast are presented by Edge Boost. Edge Boost enables you to double your bet with no interest. Go to sportsgampodcast.com slash edge to get started today. We're also brought to you by Bird Dogs Shorts. The world's greatest shorts are hooking you up with a free Yeti-style tumbler when you order over at birddogs.com slash pool. That's birddogs.com slash pool. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It is currently Monday evening, June 12th, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Reichel, once again going solo for this pod. Should be a fun one because we do have a lot to actually do for this episode. After going to the French Open for the last couple of weeks, the French Open is officially over. So first things first, we do have to recap the men's final. Then after that, we are going to be getting into grass season, as there are two tournaments taking place in Stuttgart and Denbosch, which I'm looking forward to breaking down. But either way, before I actually get into any of the breakdown for the upcoming matches and tournaments for the outright episode, it is time for the actual recap portion of the last episode. For starters, lock and dog picks did not work out. Ended up having the lock lose in the first set. We had no tiebreaker in the match at minus 110, and you ended up having each player break once in the first set. Then each player had a break point against each other later on in the set, didn't convert, and it ended up going to a 7-6 breaker. Then the second two, the final two sets did not. So I don't want to call it a bad beat, but still a bit unfortunate when you do get a break from each player in the first set. But of course, they cancel each other out. And then you had some other break points, which they could not convert. But either way, that ended up being a loss. And for the dog, we knew Djokovic was going to win. Uh, however, we did try to leave some faith in Rude uh, because I thought he would play better than he had in the past against Djokovic. And in a way, he did because he had two competitive sets instead of one. But unfortunately, we had Djokovic to win and each player to win a set at plus 110. That did not work out. Rude ended up losing the first set in heartbreaking fashion in about an hour and 30, lost in a tiebreaker, then got, I don't want to say destroyed in the second set, but he lost it comfortably, and the third set was 7-5. So Rude was right there in two sets, unfortunately could not convert enough of the big points, hit too many unforced errors throughout the match, and as a result, Djokovic did win, but in straight sets. So 0-2, not ideal, but we'll look for a bounce-back sweep here on the Monday night podcast. And starting off with the overall game plan, uh, once again, we are going to be talking about the two grass tournaments that are taking place in the ATP for the next week, but they are starting at the same time. So we are going to end up going through Denbosch first, and then we'll do Stuttgart second, just going in alphabetical order. But I do want to briefly recap my overall thoughts for that match. I just said a second ago that Rude hit too many unforced errors, which is the really short, short answer of what went wrong for Rude. But really, Djokovic was just extremely consistent, and he did what he always does, which is win Grand Slam finals. And you ended up seeing Djokovic officially pass Nadal, for the most Grand Slam titles of all time. He now stands alone at 23 on the men's side. And on top of that, he's officially the first man to ever win each of the four Grand Slam tournaments three-plus times. In other words, I said it during the final preview, but I'll say it again. If you are a Nadal fan, you are rooting for Rude to beat him in the final uh, because if Djokovic had won, he'd officially and firmly, in my opinion, be the greatest player of all time. And he is. Now, I've thought that Djokovic was the best player of all time for the past two years or so. But I think now it's official. He has the most grand slams. He's won each of them once again three plus times. So he didn't fully 
uh, pad his resume with one tournament. I know he, he's won Wimbledon in, the, in Australia a couple of times, uh, like a decent amount, but still. The point is, you can make an argument against Nadal that he kind of stat-padded his resume on clay. You can make the argument for Federer that he stat-padded his resume on grass. It's difficult to do that with Djokovic because, once again, he's won each of the four Grand Slams three-plus times, and he was dominant on hard court in Australia and grass on and, uh, in Wimbledon. So you can't really make the stat-padding argument when he's been so good at every Grand Slam. And now, once again, he's number one in overall titles, and that's going to be pretty much the nail in the coffin, so to speak, not to mention the fact that Djokovic will be favored to win in Wimbledon. And if he does then he has a chance to get a calendar Grand Slam, which he was one match away from doing a couple years ago before he lost to Medvedev in the U.S. Open final. But the point is he might, in theory, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because Wimbledon is still a couple of weeks away, and then you have the U.S. Open after. But Djokovic might potentially have a shot at getting the calendar Grand Slam twice in his career, which is unheard of to me. But the point is Djokovic... He's the best to ever do it. I don't think it's really a debate at this point. And it's definitely nice to see him being able to overcome some of the injuries that he had to face in previous rounds of either the French Open or in the Australian Open. And some of you can argue, you know, maybe he's playing it up. Maybe some of it is an exaggeration. Maybe. But he's still not fully healthy. And it, it is nice to see Djokovic show so much resolve and just so much overall talent that he's able to beat guys who are top five clay players in the world or top five hardcore players in the world in Australia get the point while being well below 100%. I just find that insanely impressive, and I do want to give kudos to Djokovic for winning another Grand Slam. But once again, for the sake of the greatest of all time argument, if you're a Federer guy, you're a Federer guy. I don't think you're going to really change your opinion. Same thing with Nadal. Seems like Nadal fans really take him his legacy personally, I'd say more than any of the other two, in my opinion. And I do think, once again, if they view Nadal as their goat, they're not going to change their mind. But trying to be unbiased as possible, I think Djokovic is the best of all time. I think Nadal's the second best of all time. And I think Federer is the third best of all time. And I feel like that's the general consensus at this point. So that's how I'm going to leave it. But either way, congrats to Djokovic. As for Rude, it's a tough break, being the bridesmaid three times and he had to face off against some really, really good competition. One time against Nadal on clay, which is basically a guaranteed loss. One time against Alcaraz on hard court, which you can make an argument was his most winnable final because you'd rather face off against Alcaraz than Djokovic and Nadal. And Alcaraz was also playing a bunch of five-set matches, so there was some fatigue there. But losing in a Grand Slam final to Nadal, Alcaraz, and Djokovic... It's not fun, but it's also understandable. So I'm not totally shocked that Rude ended up losing. I think we, I think we all expected Djokovic to win. I, I said straightforwardly, whoever wins the Alcaraz Djokovic match is winning the title. That's what happened. That's how most people felt. But Rude, I'm a little bit disappointed he didn't win a set there. I thought it was a good opportunity. But either way, point is Djokovic is the king, and Rude is going to have to wait a little bit longer to win his first Grand Slam. But either way, now it's time to actually get into the grass court. A season, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, there was a couple of uh, challenger events on on grass last week. So in theory, grass season started last week, but on the ATP level, it officially starts this week. So starting off with Denbosch, by the way, just for reference, I actually looked up how to pronounce the full pronunciation 
But apparently people refer to the actual city as Denbosch as a bit of a shorter way of saying it. So I'm going to do I'm going to do it that way. So from now on, I'm going to call it Denbosch and Stuttgart. So starting off with Denbosch, I want to at least go through the history of this event. So this might be known to most tennis fans as the Van Rithhaven Open because this was the Van Rithhaven tournament where he was able to win as a qualifier or as a wild card and ended up beating Medvedev in the final. And that is kind of the main Cinderella story from last year. You could argue Chorich, but I think the Rithhaven one is so crazy that I got to put that at number one. But the point is, this was the event last year where uh, Van Rithhaven made the Cinderella run in his home country and beat Medvedev. Tournament was not held in 2020 or 2021 because of COVID. And before Van Rithhaven, the truth is it was pretty dominated by the French over the last couple of years. Manorino won in 2019. Gasquet won in 2018 against Charty. So you had two French guys in there. Uh, Moore ended up beating uh, Karlovic. So, you know, that's not a surprise. But you had uh, Mahout beat Moore, and you had Mahout beating Goffin. So once again, you've had four French winners in the last six years the tournament has been held, which is a bit shocking. And once again, you have had five French finalists in uh, that same amount of time period since 2013. So f the Frenchmen have done quite well here. Now, Gasquet is not exactly going to fit the same mold, same as Manorino. Mahout does, though, is being a pretty good server. So historically speaking, uh, if you have a good serve and you can rally a little bit, you have done quite well here. Then again, you're looking at some of the other guys like Batista Agut and Gasquet and Manorino. They can keep the ball in play, and that has definitely given them an advantage. But for the sake of this overall tournament, to go through the odds, or at least the overall trends, I wanted to at least mention that French players have had success here in the past if you do want to blindly back a Frenchman. But either way, time to actually get into the odds for the event. Starting off with the favorite, you have the runner-up last year with Medvedev at around plus 200. Sinner is plus 333. And then you have a couple of longer shots. So Medvedev and Sinner are the two prohibitive favorites of this event. Then you have Chorich at 9-1, to Diminor at 9-1, to Umber at 9-1, to which is kind of weird because he had to play in round one, and now he's down to 9-1, to which I find a little bit weird. Uh, Rayonich is 14-1, to good for him. I saw him win in convincing fashion against Kikmanovic in the morning, and that's his first match since July of 2021. And he won 92% of his first serve points, so Umber, so Umber has looked good in the first round, and Rayonic has looked really good in the first round. So those were kind of the main two takeaways for day one in Denbosch. But still, the point is Rayonic having not played in two years, and he beat a top 40 guy in straight sets while winning 92% of his first serve points, not broken a single time. I know it's Rayonic on grass, but still, that's insanely impressive, and I wanted to at least bring it up. You have Nakashima at 16-1, to Rusevori at 20 to 1, Bublik at 20 to 1, Greek Spore at 25 to 1, Golfen at 25 to 1, and Husor at 28 to 1. Nice win by Husor, beating Cressy in the first round in straight sets. Cressy once again had double digit double faults. He's the double fault king, and Husor took advantage and he ended up winning that match in straight sets. If you want to go for former champions, you can get Manorino at 33 to 1 if you want that option. And if you want to stay with the French angle, you can get Phils at 33 to 1, Rinderknich at 50 to 1, and that's basically the main French angles for this event. But either way, uh, to go through quickly what my picks are going to be. I do think Medvedev is going to make a deep run here. 
So I am going to take him at plus 200. I am a fan of his draw. And even though Manorino did win this event in the past, I said before, and Medvedev would have to face off against Manorino in the second round. The fact that Medvedev made the final here and the fact that Medvedev has been very good, historically speaking, on grass, it's not really talked about enough, but he is very good in two out of three uh, set matches on grass. The issue last year was he kept making the final and he kept losing, but he did make deep runs. But the point is Medvedev, I do think, has a pretty favorable draw, would face off against, I said before, Manorino or Phil's in the in the second round. Medvedev has a bye, but the point is you're looking at Manorino and Phil's potentially killing each other in the first round. Then Monfi would take on, assuming he wins that one, he'd have to take on either uh, Jordan Thompson, most likely, or Rayonich, which could be fun. But Medvedev does have length and he's good on grass. I do think that he would beat Rayonich. I'm not going to fully overreact to one match for Rayonich, but I have to at least give him his flowers for looking really good with the long layoff. But Kikmanovic, historically speaking, has really never been good on grass. So it was, I don't want to say a favorable matchup for Rayonich, but at least he faced off against a guy that's not comfortable on grass. And Medvedev is a very good server. But Jordan Thompson maybe gives Rayonich a run. We'll see. But the point is, I think Medvedev should be able to get by. And once he gets past that, he'd have to face off against either Chorich, uh, McDonald, Duravashka, or Husor. In other words, I think that you make an argument that Medvedev's toughest match might be in the quarters against Rayonich, but with him playing his first tournament in roughly two years, I wonder about Rayonich's stamina over the course of this event. But either way, the point is Medvedev would be my pick. I think that he has a pretty favorable draw, and I think on the other side, Sinner has some difficulty because he would have to face off against either Bublik or Golfin in his first match, which is not easy either way. Bublik's a head case, but he's good on grass because he can serve. And Golfin had a deep run here in the past where he ended up losing in the final in 2015 to Mahout, but he has made a final before. Uh, besides that, though, looking at the rest of Sinner's draw, you have to face off against either Umber, Rusevori, or Nakashima. So once again, not the easiest little section there for Sinner. And then you have to face off against either Greek Spore or Dimitrov, most likely. Uh, not Dimitrov, sorry, either Greek Sport or Diminur. That's what I meant to say uh, in the round after that. So Sinner, I think I'm going to pass on. Also, historically speaking, Sinner has gotten buried by Medvedev every, by Medvedev every time. So in that head-to-head -head domination, I don't want to exactly take Sinner, so I will pass. Besides those two, where do I want to go? Now, you can make a case for Ionich, and to be honest, it's kind of fun at 14-1, to 1, but it's his first tournament back in two years. I doubt he'll be able to run the table, but I have to point out he did look really, really good. And I do think that definitely showcases that he is a threat in this event. I just think Dimitro, I just think that uh I keep doing that. I keep thinking that Medvedev's gonna beat him. But Umber at nine to one makes no sense because I mentioned how difficult his draw is and he played in the first round, so fatigue might play a factor. But Umber once again is in the same section as Rusevori and Nakashima. And then he'd have to face off against either Bublik, Golfen, or Sinner. And he's plus 900. I just think that's a really insane price. I think if I was going to make a case for any potential long shot, a guy who could maybe make a run, I'm not sure how likely it is, but at least I got to bring it up. I think Husor would lose to Medvedev, but I think his draw is not bad facing off against Hichikata in the next round. And you can get him at 28 to 1. We know he's a good server. I think Husor might be worth a look at 28-1. to 1. Now, once again, you're facing Medvedev, most likely, but if there's a world where Rionich beats Medvedev, I think Husor could potentially beat him in two tie breaks. Maybe that's a possibility. So I think Husor is worth a long shot at 28-1. Uh, to 1. 
Greeks for and Yemmer, I think, is an interesting match. Yemmer, for a guy that can serve, has actually been pretty good on grass in his career. Uh, so plus 4,000 on Yemmer is interesting. But once again, I don't think he's going to win the event. I just think he can make a deep run. Maybe a quarter draw on him, but unfortunately, that's not available. I don't think there's value on Chorch, so I'm not going to pick him. Rinderknich against uh, Papyron is interesting, but I'm not sure if I actually like uh, either guy enough uh, to make a run. In theory, whoever wins that Rinderknich-Papyron match could be a threat because they're both good servers. Papyron's a better server, though, so I'd probably lean to him. But for the most part, I really don't see many insane long shots to take. So I think, once again, I'm going to go with Medvedev, who I think is clearly the best player here. He made the final last year. He's good on grass, and I do think, once again, he's been really good for the most of the entire season. And the one insanely bad loss he had was in the French Open, where even though he made a good run in the two out of three set clay season, he still, I guess, wasn't fully ready for three out of five clay. It's a completely different service on grass, and Medvedev's really good on it. So give me Medvedev to win at plus 200. Besides that, though, I you know what? I'm going to do it for fun. Give me Rayonich at 14 to 1. And besides that, give me Husler at 28 to 1. Those will be my quote-unquote uh, long shots there. And if I wanted to take one shot with a guy uh, who is in the center region, because I feel like I kind of have to, since Medvedev, I'm still picking a win, but I'm putting all my eggs in that one basket. Umber makes sense, but at 9-1, to one, it's not worth it. I really just don't see many guys that I really like at the price points available. And Rusevori, I think, could be good, but I think I'd probably pick Umber in that matchup. Should be a lot of fun, though, if Umber faces off against Sinner. But I don't really see much value. So I think, once again, I'm going to stick with those three guys. Significantly more on Dimitrov in terms of money as opposed to the other guys. But Rayonich, I think, is fun. And if he goes to breakers, maybe he can serve out of his mind and win another 90% of his first serve points. But for the sake of this tournament, I'm going to go with Medvedev at plus 200. I'm going to go with Rayonich at 14 to 1. And I'm going to go with Husler at 28 to 1. Besides that, though, moving on to the Stuttgart tournament, uh, you have a pretty stacked field, to be honest here. Uh, to look at the actual field, the favorites at plus 400, which tells you how open this actually is. Sitsipas is plus 400. Fritz is plus 400. Herkaz is plus 600. And Kyrgios makes his return as he's plus 650. You have Sonigo at 7-1, to one, who completely buried Berrettini today. And Berrettini was a two-time champion at this event. In fact, he was the defending champion. And Sonigo absolutely buried him. But to look at the historical uh, winners here before getting back into the odds, Berrettini won it last year, beating Murray in three. Chilich won it in 2021, beating Felix. 2019, Berrettini beat Felix. 2018, you had Federer beating Rayonich. 2017, you had Pui beating Feliciano Lopez, who also lost yesterday in a good match there. Uh, but you had Team winning in 2016 against Cole Schreiber. Bit shocking there because Team has never really been good on clay. Uh, but I'd say from 2018 onward, big servers have done well in this event. So if you want to go for a big server... Sitsipas is a pretty good server. I'm not sure if he's elite, but he's a good server. But you have Fritz, Herkaz, and Kyrios if you want to fit that great server angle. Sonigo looked good, but I think he's a bit overvalued at just the fact that Berrettini is really underwhelming, either based on injury or the fact that he has become more of a 
uh, I'd say publicity guy. He's more of like a model type where he's not exactly focused fully on tennis. And that's been a criticism of his for a while. Whereas he f- it feels like he's a part-time player. He's not putting the hours into the gym and on the courts. And you saw what happened in his first match back. He got buried and he almost got 6-0. So not exactly a fun time there for Berrettini. But either way, that means there will be a new champion here in Stuttgart. Uh, but looking at the overall field to get back into the odds here. Kyrgios plus 650, Sonigo plus 700, Tommy Paul 12 to 1, Musetti 14 to 1. He looked pretty good against Gojo. Uh, Tiafo at 14 to 1, Shapo at 14 to 1, Struf at 25 to 1, Gasquet at 28 to 1. But when you're looking at the odds once again, that means that you have uh, roughly nine or ten guys that are below 15 to 1, which is pretty uncommon which tells you how up for grabs this event actually is. But having a big serve definitely helps. But to look at the actual uh, pathway here, uh, Sitsipas is facing off against Gasquet, who had a nice win against Eubanks in the first round. Should be a fun match. Sitsipas is probably going to win. But still, the point is, I do think, once again, Gasquet can make the match long and maybe intriguing. Uh, besides that, though, you have Hercast taking on Watanuki. Watanuki had a nice win against Feliciano Lopez. Fun match there. Uh, Sonigo beat Berrettini. He's facing off against the winner of Altmaier and O'Connell. I'm assuming Sonigo will get it done. Uh, Herquez, though, I think is quite appealing for this tournament, but I'll get into him in a second. Uh, so I mentioned the Sonigo matchups there. Musetti's facing off against either Barreri or Atta. And you have a fun match in the second round between Laheshka and Tiafo, which should be fun. And the winner would most likely face off against Musetti. Besides that, you have Kyrgios taking on Yibing, and then the winner would face off against Shapo or Fuksovic. So a really fun little section there. And then for the bottom half, you have Fritz taking on either Karatsev or Mutet. So for starters, I'm going to go through the guys I'm not interested in. Sitsipas, I'm not interested in. I know on grass, he's pretty good. I know he had the mental breakdown against Kyrgios in the uh, in Wimbledon last year. But I do think at the end of the day, I really just can't trust Sitsipas enough to be laying. He's posted a lot of social media pictures with him and Bedoza, because apparently that is the new tennis power couple. I'm not going to fully assume that Sitsipas's training regimen has been a bit lax lately, but I am going to say him and Bedoza have spent a lot of time together. And maybe that's a night activity thing. Maybe it's not. But I do wonder, Sitsipas, uh, I do wonder about his focus. And it does seem like Sitsipas' focus may be on a relationship as opposed to winning on grass. Maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe that sounds a bit harsh. But I do think Sitsipas, a guy I'm going to pass on at plus 400. In an open event, I have questions about his focus and his overall mental toughness in general. So I think I'm going to pass on Sitsipas. Now, you get to the big servers as the next three options. Fritz is at plus 400. I like Fritz, but I do wonder if those odds are too low. Herkaz is plus 600. I believe he was 800 yesterday. Both Berrettini losing the odds have dropped on a couple of guys. And Kyrgios is plus 650. Kyrgios, once again, I think in terms of talent, is the either best player here or one of the best players here. The problem is... A, is a head case, and B, it's his first match back in a while since suffering a knee injury. So I am wondering how fully healthy, or I should say a foot injury, which was a really insane situation. He had a knee injury, which healed. And then he ended up hurting his foot because somebody ended up carjacking his mother's car. 
and stole his mother's or stole. I, I don't know if it was his Tesla or his mother's Tesla, but the point is he was at his mother's and he got carjacked and he hurt his foot in the process. So apparently he's okay, but that is interesting that there was an armed robbery and that is the reason why he lacerated a part of his left foot. So it was about two, three weeks where he was going to be missing time and now he is back. But Kyrios once again on grass. We know how good he is on the serve. We know talent-wise how good he is, but he has not played a match in a while. And I feel like as a result, I have to kind of skip him in this case. But I do think Kyrios makes a deep run. I would not be shocked. Let's put it that way. But looking at the actual draw for Kyrios, it is a very, very interesting draw because looking at the actual pathway here. He would have a pretty interesting early match against Yibing, who we know is a great forehand. Shapo or Fuksovics could give him problems, and then he'd have a matchup between him and Fritz. And I feel like for the sake of this, I kind of want to let Fritz and Kyrios kill each other. But I do think, once again, if I had to pick between the two of them, I'd pick Fritz, but I can't pick him at plus 400. Herc has it 600's tempting. And the reason why I'm going to say it's tempting is because I do think his draw is significantly more favorable than the other guys. Now, to go through the actual draw, he would have to face off against Sitsipas in the semis, but he has a matchup against Watanuki, which he should win, and a matchup against probably Sonigo. But Herkaz is really, really good at serving on grass. He won an ATP title last year, also beat Medvedev in a final. But the point is, I do think Herkaz is a bit undervalued here. I know we faded him in the French Open against Varius, but still, on grass, he's very comfortable. Big serve, can end points early, and he's also a pretty underrated player at the net, which definitely works out, but I do think Herkaz has value at around plus 600. Sonigo, I mentioned before, I'm not interested. I just think that he's overvalued after beating Berrettini, and it seems like a bit of an over-adjustment, but if I had to go for a potential long shot in this event... I am kind of wondering which quarter I would pick. I mentioned I'm not the biggest fan of Tsitsipas, so I do think if I'm going to make a case for one guy, he might lose in the first round, but I have to at least acknowledge the level of improvement that he has made in the serve and volley game, which should really help him out on grass. I'm going to mention Struff at 25-1. to 1. I think there's value there, and if he can serve and volley, and if he can once again really showcase the firepower that he has. He can end a lot of points early, and he could win a lot of points in general in this event. And Struess, if uh, sorry, not Struess, sorry, uh, Struff, I got NBA on my mind. Struff, if you remember, actually took Alcaraz to five sets in Wimbledon. So he has been a threat to some very good players in the past. And if you're looking at a tiebreak fest, I do think Struff can win a breaker or two or steal one with some serve and volley tactics. But I think Struff has value. At 25 to 1, and that will be my quote unquote long shot for this event. But I'm going to play it pretty straightforward. If Sitsipas or Fritz or Kyrios win, would I be shocked? Not really, but I just have too many concerns about the overall Kyrios versus Fritz matchup, which would be very close. I'm concerned about Kyrios's form in general, and Sitsipas is a bit of a head case, and I don't want to take him at plus 400. So I do think, once again, my favorite pick is going to be Herkaz plus 600, but I am going to go with Struff at 2,500 as well as a long shot. Uh, besides that, though, is there anybody else I'm really tempted by just quickly looking at who has a big serve in this event? I mean, Atta has a big serve, but physically he's been a mess all year long. 
so I can't exactly pick him. I think that's going to wrap it up. I just think Kyrgios' path is tough. I think that Fritz's path is tough, and I don't trust Sitsipas. So once again, I'm going to go with Herkaz and Struf as my picks there for the outright in, in Stuttgart. But that's going to wrap it up for the overall uh, grass tournament outright previews for the upcoming week. But now it's time for the lock and dog picks for individual matches. But before I should get into any of that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by EdgeBoost. EdgeBoost is the world's first bet now pay later Visa card. Edge currently offers $2,500 in betting advances, which can be extremely useful. Imagine what you can do with an increased bankroll. Get down on some of your favorite futures without tying up your bankroll for months. Double down on a favorite bet that you like, or even create an awesome middle or even hedge opportunity. EdgeBoost isn't some sleazy loan shark as they charge 0% interest. Do you know of another way you can access more money to place on your favorite bets without paying any interest? EdgeBoost can also also be a part of a responsible gambling plan as you can set up daily, weekly, or even monthly limits all across your betting accounts in one place. Support SGPN and grow your bankroll by going to sportscampodcast.com slash edge to sign up. Sportscampodcast.com slash edge must be 21 years or older to use problem gambling. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're also brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs is completely changing the game when it comes to shorts as they don't use a stiff restricting con- uh, cotton like other regular shorts. Instead, they use a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but stretches so you get a waist slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. On top of that, Bird Dogs also uses an anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. And when you do end up ordering your pair of shorts from Bird Dog, you also get a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. Go to birddogs.com slash pool and enter promo code pool for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash pool for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the outrights for Denbosch and for Stuttgart. Now it's time for the actual lock and dog picks for the matches in the event. Starting off with the uh, Denbosch tournament, I'm going to go with my lock. And for this one, I'm going to look at a matchup between Barankas and Dejir. And for this one, I'm going to take Barankas on the money line at minus 109. Simply put, I find this line extremely trappy. Because the uh, because Barankas has kind of been an afterthought over the last couple of months, and Dejir has been uh, performing pretty well on clay. I think we can all agree that Dejir is the uh, better overall player in terms of ranking, etc. And yet, it's basically a pick 'em, and a big reason why is because Dejir is really, really, really bad on grass. And I do think that's going to be the story of this match here is the fact that Barankas had to go through qualifying, and he has looked good. On grass in years past, you might remember in Wimbledon last year, he did win a set off of Rafael Nadal. Now he lost the match. Truth is, he had a shot to potentially win a couple of sets there. Uh, But I do think, once again, Barankas has just been really good on grass for basically his entire career. In fact, in his career, he's 30 and 25 on grass. He was three and one last year. The point is, I do think, once again, with Barankas beating uh, Query, for example, in straight sets in Wimbledon last year, winning a set against uh, Nadal, and that match was competitive. The fact is he's proven at times that he is capable of being a really solid threat on grass. And um, you're looking at Dejir, and he is the opposite of that. In fact, I'm shocked Dejir is even here, because historically speaking, he's has wasted his time whenever he shows up at a grass event. So to look at the actual stats here for Dejir, Last year, he ended up going one and three, I believe, 
Uh, yes, he won one and three last year, and in his entire career, he is three and ten. What? Uh, that's straight up on grass. So the point is, I don't trust him. And I do think, once again, with his performances last year, he won in Hollow in his first round because his opponent retired. Then he lost to Kashanov in straight sets, lost to Kyrgios, and ended up losing to Alejandro Tabilo uh, in Wimbledon. But the point is, he's not exactly a great grass player. And I do think that this line is extremely telling because you'd assume that Dejir against Barankas, Barankas is a guy that I'm sure most people forgot about. You'd assume Dejir would be like minus 140, maybe, something like that, but... He's not. And the fact that it's roughly a pick tells me that Barankas is probably going to win. Give me Barankas' money line at minus 109. And for my dog, I'm going to go to a matchup that's going to be taking place in Stuttgart. It's going to be a matchup between Husor and Hichikata. And for this matchup, I am going to I'm going to take Husor to win in straight sets. And I'm quickly just trying to see what the best price available is is for that right now i found plus 175 but i want to just make sure that i can find a better price on that i like hichikata as an overall player but the issue is pretty simple here he ended up beating brower in the monday match who was a a wild card entry because he's uh he's just a wild card entry but the point is brower isn't really that good and i think once again when you're looking at the overall talent jump between Brower and Husor, I think it's there. And I think because of that, I find these odds fascinating. Husor is like minus 120, minus 130 on the money line. But I'm going to take him to win in straight sets at around plus 175 because I, once again, just think that his serve is going to cause a bunch of problems for Hichikata. Hichikata is a bit undersized. Not the greatest server. I think Husor finds ways to win either breakers or maybe finds a way to sneak a break across in each set. But I do think, once again, getting him to win in straight sets at roughly plus 175 on a bet um, BetMGM, I think is definitely worth something, and I'm going to take it. So I think once again, uh, looking at the actual just value here, I think there's a pretty good chance that Husor wins this in straight sets, and it's plus 175. Will it be easy the entire way? Probably not, but I think there is value on it, and those are going to be my two picks. So once again, the lock for the show is going to be on Barankas Moneyline taking on uh, Dejir, and my dog is going to be on Husor, minus one and a half sets at plus 175. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the 10 Scaling Podcast. We'll back once again later on in the week, probably for the quarters of these two tournaments. But until next time, you can find me on Twitter, Rice Show Radio. Find me on the NBA show. Find me on the MLB show. Find me on the NFL show. You get the point. A WNBA show as well. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.